Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bones. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. Kids, head off to Sunday school if you like, or you can listen to me talk, but I don't recommend that one. Adults, you can go to Sunday school too if you really. If everybody wants to go to Sunday school, I could just not preach. That'd be, that'd be, yeah, sad. That's what it would be. Uh, all right. So uh, I'm pretty sure everybody knows I'm here, but just in case, just in case, I'm Darcy. Uh, I've been coming here for about a year. I've known some of you for much longer than that and some of you for a bit shorter than that. Um, and uh, when Nikayla said that uh, Trickster Jesus was happening, I was like, I need to preach. No, that wasn't it at all. Uh, I I really like stories. Um, I'm somebody who who takes great joy in telling stories and being told stories well. Um, I find... I find myself emotionally moved by stories. I find myself, uh, uh, what's the word, cranially moved, like my cranium goes in my brain, works a lot. Um, I didn't write this part down of my sermon, obviously. Um, and so the idea of preaching about a story that Jesus told, which is within a story, which is the Bible, sort of like, inception metaverse going on it's great story within a story um and then i i i had one story that i wanted to do but then couldn't do that one so then i was like hey nikayla what's the hardest story you think i could do she's like how about the rich man lazarus i was like cool i want to talk about hell that's great um can i say that here that was that was a joke that was a joke i know i can say that um so, yeah, I'm going to pray for myself and for everybody else real quick, and then I'm just going to jump right into reading this story, and then we'll go from there. Uh, Jesus, thanks for today. Thanks for everybody here. Thank you for the buckets of rain we got recently, that it makes the grass greener, that it makes the, uh, the flowers blossom. Thank you for the sunshine that uh, dries dries off our clothes and dries off our grass and dries off everything and keeps us warm and uh, gives us light. And uh, thank you for, thank you for you that you would come here, that you would show us how to treat one another and how to treat the world. I pray that we could do that well. Amen. So no slides, because I go all or nothing and if I had slides there would be like 80 of them and then the back would hate me but I'm just gonna read from Luke chapter 16 verses uh what is it and 19 to 31 there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in the luxury every day at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus 
covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side, or bosom. I wanted to say bosom. The rich man also died, and he was buried. In Hades, <laughs> where, he was, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in, wa in the water to cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Ab Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that is set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So, at first glance, this story seems kind of obvious. It's an example of Jesus comparing the rich to the poor, about how the poor suffer now, but they won't suffer in eternity, about how the rich can't take what they've collected with them when they die. Um, the lack of that lack of empathy and generosity will be people's downfall. But the more I thought about it, the more the more I read this over and over and over and over and over, the more I dug into a couple commentaries, um, the more I asked other people what they thought. Um, it became a lot less simple, um, and I, I, I started to observe some things, and I thought I would share those thoughts with you. Um, I am not somebody who's going to tell you, this is what this means, because I'm, I'm not somebody who has the, the, the cornerstone on biblical interpretation, but this is how I interpret some of it anyways. So first, the characters. Characters. I use air quotes because uh, I don't think Lazarus and the rich man are actually characters at all. Um, characters are complex. Characters have complex motivations. Characters have have all kinds of different stuff going on. They're multifaceted. They're interesting. Um, the rich man and Lazarus are none of those things. They're boring. They're simple. They're one note. And no real motivations or complexities that we can speak of. Now, it's like a four-sentence story, so sure. Well, there's no time, but that's with a purpose. Um, I don't think these, these beings are actually characters at all. They're act actually caricatures. They're just, they aren't real people, and they aren't meant to be seen as real people. Um, Lazarus and the rich man are both just grotesque exaggerations of what I would probably say of wealth and suffering. So Lazarus, he's a poor crippled man lying at a rich man's gate. 
He is clothed in sores, and he is completely passive in this story. Lazarus never speaks in this story. Lazarus never does anything in this story. We know he's a beggar, but we never see him begging. We know he wants scraps from the table. We never see him ask for them. Um, the closest thing we see to him having an active voice at all is dogs licking his wounds. Interesting side note. Uh, with the dogs licking his wounds, uh, there's two ways that, that uh, scholars have looked at this. One is that these, these dogs were actually mongrels and they were actually torturing him more. Uh, the other way to look at it, the, the, this was in the book that Michaela recommended I read, is that these dogs are actually, actually soothing his wounds. They're actually his only friends. His only source of relief is a, is a stray dog licking his wounds. Just to really emphasize how much agony this, this man is going through. The rich man, on the other hand, is the pinnacle of extravagance. Where Lazarus is crippled, lying at the gate, the rich, rich man lived in luxury every day. He owned land. He dressed in purple robes and linen. Um, fun fact, the, the purple robes were, were and linen were actually the same cloth used to clothe the high priest in his sacred, in his sacred clothing. So where... This guy, isn't, is, he's wearing this as party clothes. And I mean party clothes specifically. Because not only is he dressed in fine linen and purple robes, uh, not only does he live in a big house, um, but he feasts every day, it says. Um, now, the word used to describe that, uh, the word used to, for feasting, uh, gives connotations of celebration. Um, it's also used in Deuteronomy 16 when Moses encourages everybody to observe the festival of weeks so there's a sacred festival the same word as you but this rich man isn't doing this for for sacred time he's doing it every day and he's doing it above and beyond so we have these two we have these two characters uh, caricatures on display we've got the expensive indulgent rich man and this this poor man lazarus who is just the depiction of agony. So now we go to the second part of the story, uh, which coincidentally goes to my second observation. Even after death, when Lazarus is in paradise, there's something interesting not I noticed, um, and I mentioned this before. It's that Lazarus has a completely passive presence. He has no voice of his own in the story. He's never even spoken to is actually only spoken about. The story isn't about comparing the rich and the poor. It's not even about comparing the rich man to Lazarus. It's really just about the rich man. The focus is completely on him. Lazarus is simply a plot device. Lazarus is a, is a foil. From the beginning of the story, the rich man, he is the focal point. He's the first one mentioned. He's the only person other than Abraham who speaks. Uh, he's the only one who makes any requests of anyone. Uh, and at first it seems like he doesn't actually see Lazarus at all. Uh, if he does see him, he certainly doesn't see him. At least not 
as anyone worth being seen. To live in such luxury and extravagance while someone in such destitution is literally lying at your gate is unconscionable. Uh, I worked in the homeless sector in Calgary for, for the better part of 10 years. Um, I, uh, I worked with people from all kinds of walks of life, uh, people with addictions, uh, both, both mental and physical, um, and people who, who were experiencing homelessness for, for decades. And one of the hardest things I learned in that field is this. People experiencing homelessness get treated less than human on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. Sometimes simple eye contact was too much for some people to give them, just the acknowledgement of their humanity and their existence. That, that kills. That's what's happening here. This rich man is having daily celebrations and treating Lazarus like he doesn't exist. Then they both die. And shockingly, the rich man's perception of Lazarus does not improve. As the rich man is suffering, he begs Abraham to send Lazarus to him with a drop of water. Catch that, catch that there. He doesn't, he doesn't ask Abraham for, for a drop of water. He doesn't, he doesn't ask Lazarus for a drop. He doesn't, he doesn't do any of that. He, he talks about the person that he can see like he's not even there. So, hey, Dallas, can you please ask Nikayla to get me a coffee? I, I really need to get a coffee. Can you just send her to do that for me and bring it to me, please? Like, that's rude. Like, I'm, that's another, another lack of acknowledgement of Lazarus' ex Lazarus's existence. The rich, he doesn't ask Lazarus directly to bring him the water. He still doesn't see some Lazarus as someone worthy of being seen. He's just a, a servant, like a dog that is gone to fetch him something. The rich man's request is denied. I think it's the, it was denied because of the rich man's failure to see his sin, to see his lack of sight. Abraham speaks of a great divide that separates the rich man from Lazarus. Uh, one could say that this divide is actually the rich man's own making. The difference between who and what you are compared to who and what I am is so vast that we can't get across. We are not on the same level. Even after the rich man has denied his first request, his second request is yet again to have Lazarus go and see his brothers. He doesn't ask to go see his brothers himself. He doesn't ask Abraham to go see his brothers. He again try, he sees Lazarus as this servant to do his bidding. The rich man's failure to see Lazarus in life as nothing worthy of being seen is the source of this great divide. It's the reason that they can't communicate. And his continued failure to see Lazarus in death is why that chasm continu continues to exist. So for me, that's the focal point of this story. It's, it's not about who gets to go to heaven, who gets to go to hell. It's not about uh, being, ex be being extravagantly wealthy is inherently evil, although you could make that argument. Um, 
it could. I'm just saying I'm not right now, today. Um, I think it's noticing how the rich man sees, or more accurately, doesn't see Lazarus. All right, big observation number three. Lazarus, as far as, as far as I know, is the only person given a name in any of the parables recorded in Scripture, other than, like, somebody who already has a name like Abraham. Uh, this feels like it should be a big deal. It feels like it should matter. Um, depending on how you count them, there's between 9 and 11 parables, like, recorded in, in the Gospels. And... Uh, and these stories are all populated with a lot of people. Yet the only one who has ever given a name is this completely pa passive caricature who has no voice and is known only by his suffering in life. Why? Uh, I think the easy answer is that the people listening to the story are meant to feel sympathy for him. Uh, even as the rich man in the story seemingly does not. I know for me, it makes my mind go somewhere else, though. As I said before, I think the focal point of this story is, is the inability for this rich man to see Lazarus as, as human, as equal. Just to see him as him. I think the naming of Lazarus, of Lazarus puts, puts an exclamation point on that, on that fact. The fact that the audience knows Lazarus's name humanizes him to the audience. But the fact that the rich man knew Lazarus's name too actually condemns him even worse. The fact that he knew Lazarus's name means he knows him at least a little bit. He knows a bit of his story, yet still does not see him. And that's brutal. That hurts. Um, I know that there are some of you in here who know some of the darkest parts of my life. Um, and yet you still see me. If you knew those parts of my life and treated me like subhuman, like, I don't know what I'd do. I, I would be lost. I said at the beginning that the rich man isn't a real person. Oh, sorry, I skipped something. The fact that the rich man doesn't have a name uh, isn't actually wildly interesting to me. There's lots of people that Jesus creates in his stories that don't have names. Um, uh, I read a few scholars while studying for this who suggested that the lack of a name for the rich man uh, served the purpose of Jesus' audience to be able to envision themselves as the rich man. I, I don't see that as being the case, and I think it sort of misses the point. Um, the rich man isn't meant to be seen as one of us. He is this overly extra extravagant, way too rich to be real Jeff Bezos guy. Sorry. Uh, I had to say it once. Um, like I said at the beginning, he's not a real person, and he wouldn't be seen that way by the audience. He wouldn't be seen as a man blessed by God, and so this is why he's so wealthy. Because it's not how he's depicted. It's not, it's not how the story goes. I often re read commentaries and have seen preachers do this. Uh, I've heard sermons where the opponents of Jesus, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious elite, the whoever... Um, are not made out to be people, but caricatures. They are treated 
as one note things that their only thing is they think Jesus sucks and that that makes them the worst. We see people defined by their purity laws and the exclusive practices that inevitably come from that. Or their staunch legalism and the inherent hypocrisy that results in that. This practice of seeing these people as caricatures, as simple one-note beings without complexity, can have some pretty negative effects on how we read Scripture, on how we understand what Jesus what God is trying to teach us through it. Jewish, cult, Jewish culture knew how important it was to look at those who look after those who couldn't look after themselves. Laws existed specifically to ensure this happened. The idea that the religious leaders listening to this story would think that this rich man is some sort of good guy is laughable. It's just not it's not the case. I would like I would like to think that the religious leaders, when Jesus was around, were just like the religious leaders we have today, whether they be Nikayla, whether they be our elders, whether they be me, I guess. Um, we're all doing the best we can with what we think we know and what we know we believe. Like, yes, there are outliers. There are people who who use their position for for terrible things but that that doesn't define them either which brings me to where the rubber hits the road this is the practical section of the sermon fun fact i rewrote this last night that's why i'm stumbling over my words and didn't rewrite this part so this is going to be fun um First, first, a really easy question. Feel free to yell out an answer. Who deserves to be really seen? Who said it? Yeah, everyone. It's true. Everyone deserves to be seen. Everyone deserves to be seen as, as humans. Simple answer, really hard execution. Um, we see... Seeing people in sympathetic circumstances, seeing people who are marginalized or exploited or going through hard times, it's really easy to see those people, those people's humanity. Um, but what about the people doing the exploiting? What about what about those who marginalize others? What about what about those who who disagree with us on a fundamental level? Disagree us collectively, us individually. How do we see them? Um, I find it really difficult. I mean, I made that joke about Jeff Bezos a second ago. Um, I think he reminds me of a comic book supervillain. He genuinely does. And that's not okay. Like, I treat him like, like I talk about him like he's a monster. Because... Like, honestly, maybe I do think that. And, like, that's not okay. I don't think that what this story is is speaking to me is, like, no, nah, he's, he's human. He deserves to be treated like a human. Am I saying we need to accept the behavior of uh, the bad behavior as okay to see people as human? No. Um, 
maybe recognizing that there's a story behind whatever behavior we see as as unconscionable. Um, I think a big part of, part of it is recognizing that we only see snippets of of each other's stories. You know, when we look at our people, when we we accept that there's a story. When something bad happens, we accept that there's circumstances that have happened that have brought you to this place that made you make this decision. Um, but when we're talking about others, whether it be just just people not not that aren't our people, it's a lot harder to to give that grace, to understand that I'm seeing a snippet of who you are, not the entire thing. So how do we do that? We listen. We listen to what people have to say. We listen to where people have been. We listen to how people got where they are. And we ask them where they plan on going moving forward. I think that's about it for me. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll have communion together. Uh, Jesus, thank you for everybody here. Thank you for... uh, the opportunity to meet, the opportunity to hear each other's stories, the opportunity to love one another, um, and the opportunity to just be together. As we, amen. Amen.